0: What an amazing privilege we have to be able to gather in freedom like this and worship God and celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ. It is a privilege and it's one that is not shared uh, equally throughout the world. So I want to begin. Let's just take a minute and give thanks to God for that privilege. Father, you are great throughout the world, and we have an unbelievable privilege you've given us to be able to gather like this and acknowledge how great you are and know know it and feel it because of Jesus and because of the freedoms we enjoy in this country. Father, I pray you just help us have a heart today for those who also know your greatness but are in very different circumstances. And uh, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today and help us do uh, what glorifies you and what strengthens our brothers and sisters throughout the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this is International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and I want to begin by just explaining why there is such a thing. I'll uh, show you a picture here of Pastor Youssef uh, Nedarkhani. He is a Christian pastor in Iran, and he is in prison and has been condemned to die because uh, of supposedly renouncing Islam. Uh, Yosef was born into a, a Muslim family, and in Iran, even though the Constitution they have technically guarantees freedom of religion. Uh, Those who are born into Muslim families are not permitted to become believers in or practitioners of any other faith, including Christianity. Uh, So for a Muslim to become a Christian is in a very real sense, a very practical sense, a capital crime. And that is what Pastor Youssef has been convicted of, Uh, He could be taken out and hanged uh, at any moment, but through international pressure and the prayers of God's people, there's been complications, delays, and now his case is currently uh, before the supreme leader of Iran, who apparently will decide whether he lives or dies. Now, you you may have heard of Pastor Youssef because uh, his uh, case has received a lot of media attention but he is by no means the only one in such a predicament. There are uh, thousands of others throughout the world, some in prison, some condemned to die, some mistreated uh, by angry mobs, others by even members of their own family. And Iran is certainly not the only place uh, where it is illegal or unacceptable for people to become believers in Jesus. A couple others that are on the screen. I see a Bibi mother in Pakistan who has also been condemned to die. Gao Shisheng is a Christian attorney in China who has just disappeared. He, he was one advocating for the rights of religious minorities and has disappeared at the hands of the government. Nobody knows where, where he is, whether he's alive or dead. So this this is something going on all around in our world today, and of course, the question for us as believers enjoying great freedom here in the United States is, uh, what should we do about it? I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. Hebrews 13, verse 3, which says, remember those in prison, as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated, as if you yourselves were suffering. Remember those in prison. Who is that talking about? Well, it's not talking about everybody who's in prison for any reason. It's talking about those who are in prison because They are followers of Jesus. If you go back just a couple of chapters to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the author reminds his readers of some of the persecution that they themselves have experienced. Verse 32, remember those earlier days after you had received the light? He's talking there about the gospel, the good news about Jesus coming and them receiving and embracing that gospel, putting their trust in Jesus Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Boy, there's a lot there on perspective and keeping in mind what is truly valuable in the face of suffering and difficulty. But the point here is that we're talking about people who are in prison simply because they believe in Jesus and are trying to live the way He told us to. To say it another way, then Hebrews thirteen three is telling us: remember the persecuted. Remember the persecuted. The book of Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul, while he himself was in prison, he wraps up the book, the letter he writes, in chapter 4, verse 18, with these words. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Can you hear the emotion in that? Here's this believer in Jesus. He's in a prison cell, chained up. He's writing a letter to some of his brothers and sisters in Christ and he finishes up with those words, remember my chains. Remember those in prison. Remember the persecuted. What a serious request that is. And yet how difficult for us to relate to because what was so common in those days and what still is common in many parts of the world today is completely foreign to you and me. So for us to remember the persecuted is going to take some intentional effort on our part and that's why we have an International Day of Prayer For the persecuted church to help us remember, to remember those who are persecuted. And the best way to remember them is to pray for them. That's the best way we can remember them. That's why we have this day. I just want to talk to you about why that's true. Why that's the best way to remember them is to pray for them. Because what what I want to do is, by God's grace, just kind of deal with our motivation here. So this is something that we will take seriously. This is something we will see as a joyful privilege and opportunity, and a very serious one as well. Why is praying for them the best way to remember them? Well, for one thing, remembering is more than mental, as the Bible defines remembering. It's it's more than just a mental thing. So we read the instruction, remember the persecuted. And what does that mean? Well, we think of remembering primarily as as a mental exercise. If we can call the information up when we need it, then we've remembered so you know if we're out somewhere and and or even here on Sunday morning and I see your face and your name comes to mind, well, then I've remembered which more and more seems like a major achievement as I get older. And that's remembering. I I can have, I can access that information when I need it. Okay, that's really not what the Bible means by remembering here. It means more than that. It usually does. And we know that because the Bible often pictures God remembering people, and God doesn't forget things the way we forget things. So when it says he remembers things, it means more than just that he's got the information in his mind. What it means is he is calling that information to mind in order to do something, in order to take action of some kind. Let me give you a few examples. Genesis chapter 8. Noah and his family and all those animals are on that huge ark that God instructed Noah to build, to warn him that they would be protected when God judged the earth, judged the world for humanity's sin. And in chapter 8 and verse 1, it says... But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And we're tempted to think, well, of course he remembered them. I mean, he's God. And they're the only people left on the planet. Of course he remembers them. What's the point of saying it? Well, keep reading. God remembered them, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. So, see, he called them to mind. The picture is of God bringing them to mind in order to do something for them, to take action, to put an end to the flood, to cause the waters to recede. Another example Genesis chapter 30. Rachel, the wife of Jacob, has been unable to have children. And that is a big deal for many women. In that culture, it was a huge deal. And you can be sure that Rachel prayed a lot with intensity about this. And then look at verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. Now, see, this is not not God just all of a sudden going, oh, whoops, I almost forgot about Rachel. That's right. She wants a baby. Oh, okay. I better do something. No. This is God in his perfect sovereign timing fulfilling his purpose taking action on her behalf. Doing something, doing good to her. And see this, when you when you understand what remember means then this way it it helps explain then what it means when the Bible says that God doesn't remember something, it doesn't mean he no longer has access to the information. What it means is he doesn't bring it to mind in order to do something. That's the point in Hebrews chapter 10. When, it says, when God says about those who've put their trust in Jesus Christ, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. It doesn't mean he's going to obliterate it from his memory. What it means is he's not going to bring them up. He's not going to call them to mind in order to do something, namely condemn or judge or punish. See, verse 18, very next verse, where these have been forgiven. See the connection, forgiveness. I won't remember them. I won't bring them up. This is important because this this helps us understand what forgiveness really is. And some of you are wanting to forgive someone for something they've done to you, and, and you're thinking what that means is that somehow you've got to obliterate it from your memory, and you ought to never think about it again or never feel any twinges about it. That's not what it means. You can't do that. If you try to do it, you'll drive yourself nuts. What it means is intentionally making a decision that you're not going to bring that sin up and use it as a weapon to hurt them back, to condemn them. So when God forgets our sins, when he doesn't remember our sins, it means then he's not going to use them against us because Jesus has paid the debt. He's paid the penalty. We don't have to pay it when we trust in him. That's what it means he doesn't remember. So all of this is to say now, to get back to the point, is that to remember the persecuted means then to intentionally bring them to mind in order to do something for them. And praying is the most helpful thing we can do for them. In fact, I've heard more than once those who are in situations of persecution have said the main thing, please, to do for us is pray. Please pray for us. Praying is the most helpful thing we can do. That's not the only thing we can do. And there may well be times when we ought to do you know, more. We ought to uh, maybe write notes of encouragement to them or or. Perhaps petition our government or other governments to, to uh, have compassion, do justice. But praying for them is definitely the most helpful thing we can do. And why is that? <laughs> well, because prayer is asking God for His help, and His help is the most helpful. All right? Jeremiah 32 17. Ah, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. That's who we're talking about. Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth by his great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too difficult for God. Even the things that are way too difficult for us because we can, you know we can't make a judge we can't make a political leader uh, release a prisoner we can't make the supreme ruler of Iran let pastor Yosef go but God can God can proverbs 21: 1 the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord he directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases God can do that We can't, nor can we give prisoners the courage and the hope and the inner strength that they need to endure prison if they're not let go, but God can. 2 Timothy 4.16, Paul is writing from prison again about his trial his appearance in court, and he says this, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. And, and there we get a glimpse of the limits of human help. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. And there, by the way, we get a little insight that God might have another purpose other than immediate release. God had Paul in prison for a purpose so that the gospel message would be more fully proclaimed. But God can give prisoners strength. God can do that. We cannot begin to do for persecuted Christians everything that they need. You know, we're far away where we have little or no political power. We can't change their circumstances. We can't visit them, hold their hand, pray pray with them. We can't do that. But God can meet all of their needs. And God responds to our prayers. God responds to our prayers. I don't understand that. I don't get that. I don't know how that works, but I don't have to get it. I just have to believe it. God responds to our prayers. They make a difference. And if you feel like saying, well, why didn't God just do it anyway? This is how God has chosen to do it. He responds to our prayers. Sometimes we get frustrated. We feel frustrated because the only thing we can do is prayer. Say, well, I guess... Nothing else I can do. All I, all I can do is pray for him, as if that's, you know some kind of insignificant little thing. It's not insignificant. No way. because God responds to prayer. And God does things we can do. Look at Philippians 1:19. I love this. Here's Paul in prison. again. He spent a lot of time in prison. Look what he says here in Philippians 1.19. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Be sure you see it. Through your prayers. Through your prayers. God works through your prayers. I know that can be hard to believe. In fact, I think that's probably, I'm guessing that's probably one of, if not the main reason we we don't pray more. It's not really that we're too busy because, you know, everybody makes time for the things they really want to do, right? I think the main reason we don't pray more is because we have a hard time believing it actually makes a difference. So we may struggle to believe that it to believe it, to that God really does respond to our prayers. But, but look at it once again. God works through your prayers. God works through your prayers. Before you leave today, just look somebody in the face and say, God works through your prayers. Because they're probably having a hard time believing it. And you may be too. That is why the very best way we can remember the persecuted is to pray for them. This is not us just wringing our hands and saying, well, I guess there's nothing else we can do. All we can do is pray. No, this is huge. This is God working. He works through our prayers. Okay, so how do we do that? According to Hebrews thirteen three, then, how, how do we remember the persecuted? By praying for them. What's it telling us to do? Well, let's look and learn. I think the first thing we can learn from here is that we, we, can, we need to pray with awareness. We need to pray with awareness. I'm going to point out something fairly obvious here. That is that when the writer of Hebrews said, remember those in prison? The f- original recipients of this, the, the people who first got it, they knew who he was talking about. They knew who that was. They knew those who had been jailed for their faith, they knew their names, they knew their families, they knew their situation. And those are the kinds of things that we need to know in order to pray more effectively, right? Because if you don't know anything about the situation, you don't know the people, you don't know, it's really hard to pray effectively. It's just not that meaningful to say, God, please help all of the persecuted Christians in the world. You pray for missionaries like that time. God, please bless all the missionaries in the world. And, you know, I suppose that's better than not praying at all. But it's not super meaningful. It's much more meaningful if if we know who, what specifically we are praying for. And and that's a challenge for us. It is because most of us don't know any persecuted believers personally. So what are we going to do? Well, this is one of the great things about living in this high-tech age, and that is that we can get the information we need about persecuted Christians very, very easily. Uh, On your note sheet, there that's in your uh, folder, I've listed on the backside several websites that you can go to to get good, relevant, up-to-date information about persecuted believers and countries where persecution's going on right now. And if you don't have internet access, uh, I've given you an address here that you can write to, Voice of the Martyrs, and you can subscribe to an actual hard copy newsletter. And so that will give you good information. And uh, also, if you go to that voice of the martyrs website you can actually sign up and probably with some of these other websites too you can sign up for a weekly email that will get sent to your email address and it will tell you kind of what's going on right now and it'll give you a list of people situations you can pray for and i love that that helps me because you know i'm not really good at remembering stuff just on my own i need help And that's a huge help to get a weekly email to remind me to pray for the persecuted and give me specific information so I can pray with awareness. And I'll tell you another thing, the prayer sheet that our secretary, Donna Spencer, puts together every week and is distributed in our groups and classes that meet after this, or you can have it sent to your email address if you want to be on the prayer chain. If you're not on the prayer chain, you can write on your Connect card, put me on the prayer chain, put your email address, we can do that. And you'll get that prayer sheet emailed to you. And at least one of the requests on that every week usually has something to do with persecuted believers or some situation that that we can pray for. So there's information available if we'll simply make the effort. If if we don't have the information, it's probably because we're not trying. So we just need to do that. So I'd encourage you today, if you haven't done it yet, you go home, Get access to the information. Find a way to get yourself reminded and pray with awareness. Then the other thing we're called to do is to pray with compassion. And to me, the most challenging part of this instruction in Hebrews 13.3 is the two as-ifs. As if you were their fellow prisoner as if you yourselves were suffering. I mean, it takes a little effort to get the information, but it's really not all that difficult. But praying as if I were in prison with them, as if I were suffering what they're suffering, that takes it to a whole nother level. I mean, that's saying that I should remember those people as if I would want to be remembered if I were in their situation and I were in prison unjustly. This is saying that I should pray for them the way I would want people to pray for me if I were being tortured and starved, mistreated for the crime of simply loving Jesus. It's telling me I've got to engage my heart in this, and that's not optional. If I want to take this seriously, I've got to try to engage my heart. So how do we do that? Well, I think reading the information will help, but here's the thing. We've got to read it slowly, carefully. This can't just be hurry up and get this off my to-do list. I've got to take some time, and I've got to think about it. And I've got to try to use some imagination here, and what would it be like to be Pastor Yusuf? He has a wife and two, two boys. And he's been in prison for a long time. And he knows he could be taken out and hanged any minute. What would it be like to be in his situation? What would that feel like? What temptations do you suppose he's exposed to? How about the temptation to deny your faith and save your life? That might be the biggest one. We need to pray for him that God will give them the courage to stay true. Think about it. Seek to put yourself in their place, and then with that kind of hard attitude, go to prayer. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to just apply this right now we're going to pray, and here's how we're going to do it. In your worship folder, you have one of six inserts that look like this. And there's, so there's six different varieties of this out there, and these are the top 12 nations. According to Open Doors, they have a, a World Watch List prayer guide. And by the way, the information's at the bottom of the sheet. If you want to go and you can actually get it as a PDF file, if that means anything to you, you can download it and you can print out the whole list and you can use this as a practical prayer guide. But what we're going to do is each one of you in your folder has one of these and on your sheet you have two countries listed and on the right side of it there are some specific prayer requests, specific things you can pray for. So what we're going to do is I want to ask you just to pray for those two countries, those two situations, the request there. We'll take a minute or two to do that. And you can pray by yourself, quietly, silently, or, or if you're with somebody and you want to pray together with them, that's fine too. And then after we do that for a little bit, I will uh, conclude that. And then what I want you to do is I want you to kind of look around and hold up your sheet and look for somebody who's got a different one, and then exchange. And then you pray for those two. And we'll do that for a couple of minutes. And then we're going to do that one more time. We're going to exchange it one more time. And that way you will, by the time we're done, have prayed for six different countries and people in those who are suffering. Does that make sense? Sure. Just, you know, I I get it. And, uh, And use this time and try to think and And with compassion, pray, and the requests are there. So let's go ahead and do that, and I'll just ask you to pray now, and and in a minute or two, I'll interrupt you, and we'll trade, and then we'll do that again. Okay, so let's go ahead and pray. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we are thankful for our freedom, and we wish all your people throughout the world had the same, but Lord, you have your sovereign purposes, and your intention is to make the name of Jesus known and the good news of salvation known in every, to every people, every tribe, every tongue. And we pray for those who are suffering today that you will strengthen and encourage them. And Lord, we pray you'd stir us up to remember them, not just once a year, but throughout our days. And may you strengthen our connection, our sense of relationship with these. And may we grow and may they grow through our prayers for them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.